The best insight, instant feedback, accountability. The all-new Talk Radio Freedom 106.5. Let's delve right into that at this point in time. We're going to be talking about the state of of media in the Caribbean. Uh, let's start welcoming our guests here this morning. And we do have with us um, the Director of News and Sport and Current Affairs at ABS uh, TV and Radio in Antigua. That's Garfield Burford. Good morning to you and welcome to our program. Very good morning and thank you so much for welcoming me to the program. And nice. Very good morning to your audience. Nice to have you. Also, we have veteran journalist uh, at Demerara Waves News in Guyana. That's Dennis Chabral. Good morning to you. I think we have him on. Um, okay, we'll, we'll we'll circle back to him as well. Also joining us this morning on our program, we have um, senior reporter, communications specialist. I think it's out of Saint Lucia. That's Jade Brown. Good morning to you, Jade, and welcome to our. Good morning. Nice to have you with us here this morning, and of course, Dennis will join our conversation in just a bit. And also expected to be with us here this morning is our colleague from our sister station, CNC3, that's Ryan Bechu. So technically, we have things up and running this morning, so that's that's one positive here this morning. And it's nice to have um, all of you as we get this perspective from across the region of what's going on with our media, with our media workers. Uh, yesterday, we had a pretty interesting discussion with the head of the media association here at home, that's Ira Mathur, and she went... Uh, directly to some of the challenges confronting media um, and some of the things that media are engaging in themselves that are shooting themselves in the foot. And she painted a picture that we have a long way to go and that there are some challenges, not just physical and crime and all those things, but some challenges behind the scenes that media workers are grappling with that are affecting the quality of the job that's being put out at this point in time. Let me begin by allowing each of you to familiarize the listener with you a bit. So let's start with uh, Garfield Burford. Tell us a bit about yourself and some of what you're involved in. All right, thank you so much uh, for, as I said, welcoming me again. And very good morning to the audience. Very good morning to Jade. Uh, great, to, great to hear you, Jade, again. I will look forward to Dennis uh, joining us shortly. Uh, right, so uh, I'm, as, as you mentioned earlier, Director for New Sports Current Affairs, ABS Television Radio, originally from Jamaica working in Antigua now for the past uh, roughly seven years. Uh, I also serve on the News Committee of the World Broadcasting Unions. I am one of the two representatives of the Caribbean Broadcasting Union. So that will give me a pretty much of a, a, a very good vantage point to be able to examine some of the challenges that not only the CBU faces, but also the other broadcasting unions across the world. I mean, we, we're blessed to have on that News Committee uh, members of uh, you know the European Broadcasting Union, the North American, the Asia Pacific, Africa uh, and Broadcasting Association. So it gives us a, a good sense of how, uh, or, or especially news and broadcast journalism and news gathering is being affected ac across the world. Mm -hmm. uh, but but certainly uh, here in the Caribbean, it it is a particular challenge in relation to not just as you mentioned uh, the, the physical threats that journalists experience. And for example. Uh, we remember and commiserate with our colleagues in Jamaica Nationwide News uh, Network, or who on September 8th uh, were subjected to a very, very difficult situation when they were the subject 
of a drive-by shooting. Fortunately, no one was injured, but it was a very harrowing experience. Mm -hmm. No journalist uh, should be able to should be should, should be encountering that uh, kind of situation on the job, where you know, for example, somebody who passes stops on a motorcycle and starts to fire on the compound where they are. It, it is obviously an intimidatory tactic, and you know, should be wrongly condemned uh, across the board. So, apart from those issues of physical violence in some of our countries, uh, Jamaica, Guyana. Uh, Haiti, for example, we commiserate with our French-speaking uh, members there in Haiti. There, there are also other challenges that media workers face, for mm -hmm. example, fake news, false information, uh, fake news, misinformation, disinformation, uh, the propaganda war. Uh, and as we mentioned, war, uh, the, the wars which, for example, are going on now in Ukraine, uh, Russia's war in Ukraine, uh, the Israel-Hamas conflict, uh, we commiserate with our colleagues who are covering those conflicts, and we send condolences to those who have been killed. In those covering those conflicts and, and and sometimes in addition to the physical threat that journalists face there in covering those conflicts it is very sad that sometimes the first casualty of war is the truth and so sometimes there is this uh, there's this ever-present ubiquitous challenge of misinformation disinformation and propaganda so it is a multifaceted challenge that we face not only not only here in the caribbean but across the world as well yeah. we must uh, confront those issues frontally of course there are the, the issues of technology and um, artificial intelligence and, as I said, bolstering the threat posed by fake news, disinformation, uh, uh, and so on. So it, it is uh, one that is a multi-headed hydra that we have to contend with uh, yeah. on all fronts. And we must be alert to the challenges to be able to respond. Yeah, uh, definitely uh, setting the stage for our discussion. I had the opportunity to visit Antigua many, many years ago. I think it was the ACM as well that had a, a training um, and and the person who was uh, spearheading all of this back then was Julius Gettins. I haven't heard from him or about him in quite some time, so I'm not too sure what he's up to these days. But Antigua is definitely an amazing place to visit. Uh, we'll get more to that a little later on. Let's let's welcome to our discussion now and find out some more about veteran journalist at Demerara Waves News in Guyana. That's Dennis Chabral. I think we had spoken to you um, some time ago when when there was this fire that killed a number of young children. Tell us a bit about yourself and some of what you're involved in. Good morning to you. Good morning to my colleagues and, of course, uh, listeners across Trinidad, Jobigo, and the wider world. Um, well, I've been involved in journalism and the media since 1985. And um, through that period, I've worked uh, with a number of local media houses as well as regional and international media. Um, I've also been an executive member of the Association of Caribbean Media Workers and the Guyana Press Association. And um, I've been paying close attention to issues of freedom of expression, media freedom generally, and of course coming with that, the volatility of the environment um, where we work, though it may not be comparable to um, other parts of the world such as Israel and Palestine and, and other hot spots. But we do have our own uh, unique uh, considerations here mm -hmm. that we need to keep an eye on. on uh, otherwise, we may end up in a situation where we uh, eventually fall into the category of the global hotspots um, as far as violence against journalists are concerned. Um, I have had the opportunity to work in a number of other Caribbean islands. So um, in that respect, I would think that I have, I have a a fairly broad perspective on what obtains uh, in the Caribbean media landscape, not only in Guyana. Mm. Uh, I've never been to Guyana, but I've been. I, I know a lot of people who 
who come from Guyana who are Guyanese and people who travel back and forth now because of business and Guyana definitely is um, the hot spot uh, people coming across people wanting to come across um, and I've been told that it's a beautiful country there's a lot there that um, that will entice the traveler so maybe one of these days I've been invited a number of times and maybe one day I might take the invitation let's get to the um, to another of our, our guests here this morning and she's from Saint, out of St. Lucia, Senior Reporter, Communication Specialist, Jade Brown. Good morning once again. Tell us a bit about yourself. Good morning, good morning, and thank you for having me. Good morning to my colleagues, Garfield, hello. <laughs> um, I, of course, I'm, I, I work here in St. Lucia, and let me tell you, we have a lot of challenges. We have a lot of challenges here at home. Um, but let me just start off by saying I'm currently um, working with the government of St. Lucia as a communication specialist for the St. Jude Hospital Reconstruction Project and the Universal Health Coverage Project, which is now being launched. Um, prior to that, I was the um, news editor, director and anchor of NBC Prime News. And prior to that, I was the press secretary to former Prime Minister Dr. Kennedy Anthony. Um, St. Lucia is a very special place, very beautiful. However, let me just start off by saying we have no media association. There is no active media association in St. Lucia, and therein lies the root of our problems. Um, so in terms of opportunities, unless the journalist who is well-seasoned and well-connected you know, throughout the region, and knows where to look for these training opportunities, it would pass them by. You know, they would not get those opportunities. And we find that there are many, many, many journalists, uh, or shall I say green news reporters, mm -hmm. who are enticed, you know, by the bright lights. They come into the media. They are untrained. The senior journalists, they may not have the time or the expertise or even the will to train them. And what we find is watered down news in St. Lucia. And it, it, it has become a problem because when you have that, of course, you have, you have stories that are not fact-checked. You have stories that are probably one-sided. Um, another issue that we have here is, you know, the, the strong arm of, of politics playing in, in media. And to me, there is no space or place for that. Um, so there are many stories that journalists would not touch. They would shy away from mm -hmm. um, out of fear of victimization. And um, I think that, that that is a major issue. It has been a major issue in St. Lucia for, for many, many years now. Um, and that would be something that journalists would also speak about. Um, one, of, one, one, one issue that would hinder them from, you know, completing their duties um, and also journalists being branded, media houses being branded. You know, you would look to the U.S. and you would know, um, you know, which one is, you know, towards the left or the right. But then here in St. Lucia, you don't have that. Um, so once you're branded as supporting a particular party, that is it for you. You don't get endorsements. You don't get sponsorship deals um, from businesses that may support the other side you know it's 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 really messy right now and i truly believe that um what we need 
what is necessary is for the media association of saint lucia to take feet again and you know to to for us to have proper representation mm. yesterday when we had the discussion about media uh, in general and what's taking place here at home um, the head of the media association here at home described it as self-censure and she was suggesting that we have growing evidence of media houses and media personnel censoring themselves simply because of external pressures, be they political pressures, um, financial pressures, meaning that if you carry a certain story a certain way, you will not benefit from sponsorship from government, from business and others, and also the fear of crime. That if you carry certain stories, given what's taking place in this country with the crime situation and how it's out of control, you run the risk of being a target. And she went on to say that it, it, is, it is something that is not spoken about as widely as it should be, but it takes place and it is affecting the final product. Uh, some of the callers yesterday suggested that we're not seeing the kind of investigative stories that we had seen at one point in time. We're not seeing reporters going in-depth when they go on assignment and challenging what they are told. And, and the majority of stories now come back and are government ministers so-and-so said so-and-so. And then they follow up, well, he also said so-and-so. And that's the story. Not going behind the headlines. Is that something that you all are experiencing or are aware of or are noticing or does not exist at all? In the various areas that and the various islands and countries that you deal with let's let's start with antigua is that something that journalists and reporters in antigua have to confront right uh, uh yes it, it's to a large extent the challenges that jade mentioned and that dennis uh, mentioned are also evident here as well and i think uh you know jade is spot on that you know some of those challenges in st lucia are similar to, to, to the ones we're having here. So the, 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 there is a lot of self-censorship that takes place here. Some, some of it is uh, part, of the, part of the fact is that some of the uh, media houses are generally seen to be aligned. Even if they do not agree that they are aligned, they are seen to be aligned by segments of the public, certainly passed in that particular line by uh, members, of the, you know, members of the various political parties, which see, for example, I, what, what they consider to be friendly uh, stations uh, to them, sympathetic to their cause, and stations which are a little bit antagonistic to their cause. Uh, th th that's part of the challenge. But I think the broader issue of the, the quality of journalism, the depth of journalism, is, is a challenge that we, we have to contend with at the level of the CBU, at the level of the ACM, uh, at the level of as, as many media associations as possible coming together. <laughs> and I think that it is, it is a risk, it is a threat uh, to the industry, to the sustainability of the industry, uh, to the credibility that the industry has. Uh, there's quite a, quite a bit of self-censorship self as well. I, I think part of it is, apart from the political element and the political constructs that exist, there's also the self-censorship on the basis of defamation and libel. I think part of the challenge, what, what Jade mentioned, is that some, some journalists are too green to know uh, what, what what they can get away with in relation to defamation, um, or what do they have solid defenses for? So they try to err too much on the side of caution. In other words, they stay far from a story, as opposed to tackling the story and knowing what are the thresholds, what are the guardrails that they, they must adhere to 
to ensure that they can, one, report in the factually in the public interest, raise issues in the public interest with through fair comment, and while at the same time mitigating uh, any threat or risk of uh, you know defaming individuals and putting their media houses at significant financial risk. So I think that part of that is training, part of that is experience, and part of that is media houses having individuals who are in it for the long haul. Journalists sometimes come into the field before, as, as Jade mentioned, the bright lights, I think it's a, it's a flashy, very uh, glitzy career because they're going to be on TV, well, for the ones who are on TV or online, without understanding uh, the particular tenets of the field and being committed to the field and being absolutely passionate about spending long hours doing research. In other words, the hard work. There's no substitute for hard work in the field of journalism. It is about getting the facts right and go where the facts are, go where the story is, uh, go where, wherever the, the, the facts and the information lead you. Even if that takes you to, uh, to making uh, a thousand calls, even if that takes you from moving from one person who refers you to another person and you end up talking to a uh, hundred people for the day, if that's where the story takes you. But you have to have the, 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 the commitment, the passion, the motivation, the drive to get that done. And, and uh, too often we don't see that in the field, especially mm. a journalist coming in who don't necessarily have that hunger and passion and drive. And so it, it takes away from the quality of journalism. And part of it, as I said, self-censorship, media houses, even at the editorial uh, board level, will not be willing to take on certain stories, challenge certain stories, challenge the establishment because of various means of self-censorship, whether it be political, financial, uh, you know, business, commercial, uh, or, or, or defamation uh, purposes. So, so some of the, the similarities absolutely evident here, and it's an area that we, we have to contend with. By the way, in the, in the last Press Freedom Index, uh, published last World, um, uh, World Press Freedom Day on May 3, uh, the OECS, which we're, we're part of here in Antigua, Barbuda, was around 93. This is on 38 places from the 2022 index. So significant work to be done, significant concerns that have to be addressed. Yeah. Uh, let's find out about the Guyana experience, Dennis Chabral, are these challenges uh, evident in Guyana? Is it something that you all have to confront with as well? Yes, I think uh, we we do uh, share some of the many ch some of the very challenges that my colleagues pointed to, but I think importantly also is the fact that uh, media houses here in Guyana, many of them, um, are actually owned by people who are engaged in politics. So in that sense, it also affects the way the reporters who may be basically eking out a living and also be untrained and experienced having to deal with that scenario. So they're basically working on the political instructions. They know when to uh, self-censor and therefore they are basically only interested in providing copies that are pleasing to their political bosses. Um, in Guyana, we have several media houses that are obviously loaned to be politically aligned. Therefore, you will not get uh, perspectives or stories uh, from uh, that are challenging the, the ownership or their political affiliation. But you will instead get stories that are seek to go after the opposition. Um, also inherent in that is the fact that uh, sponsors who are aligned to segments of the business community that are in turn sympathetic to, to, to the party in power also have to uh, 
you know, be wary of where they will place their ads preferentially so as they do not fall into uh, into uh, disrepute, so to speak, among the, the, the political hierarchy. And that in itself affects the bottom line of companies. When when the companies, media companies, are unable to pay their bills, then they're unable to retain high-quality staff and to continue what they um, set out to do. Um, particularly those that are independent, they really are struggling to ensure that uh, their bottom line is not affected, while at the same time trying to produce uh, news content and current affairs content that uh, serve the broad interests of the people of Guyana. Yeah, I, I, I understand. I've spoken to others from uh, various other parts of the region as well, and it seems to be uh, commonplace that these pressures are exerted one way or the other um, on media houses across the region. It's not necessarily the ideal situation, but it's something that we have to confront and find ways to navigate around it to, uh, to, to get the job done. Because um, there are several other issues that we want to deal with this morning about um, the challenges confronting media. We'll get to some of those after these messages. For those of you now joining us, having a pretty interesting discussion on the state of Caribbean media. Our guests, Director News, Sport and Current Affairs, ABS TV Radio Antigua, that's uh, Garfield Burford. Veteran journalist, Demerara Waves News Guyana, Dennis Chabral. We also have as well with us uh, senior reporter communication specialist out of St. Lucia, that's Jade Brown. We're expecting our colleague Ryan Beecher to join us as well. A couple quick messages. It's 18 minutes before 8. We'll be right back. Stay with us. The best insight, instant feedback, accountability. The all-new Talk Radio Freedom 106.5. Welcome back. We continue our discussion of the state of Caribbean media. I could take a couple of your calls if you'd like to join the discussion. Our guests, out of Antigua, Director News, Sport and Current Affairs, ABS uh, Television and Radio, that's Garfield Burford. From Guyana, we have veteran journalist at Demerara Waves News, that's Janice Chabral. From St. Lucia, Senior Reporter, Communication Specialist, Jade Brown. Our discussions uh, already this morning focusing on some of the challenges some of the pressures exerted on media workers by, info, uh, by uh, so, several sources, politics and uh, others and business and everything else, is violence. And, and I'll pose the question, um, whichever, choose to respond or we'll take it in order as we've been going to maintain the order. Uh, is violence something that um, media workers are confronted with? In the various districts that we're talking about, let's 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 find out from Antigua. Have there been incidents where tensions have uh, have uh, simmered over for one reason or the other, and there have been cases where media workers faced violence in Antigua? Right. Uh, so, thankfully, not what I'm aware of. Uh, there have been no no such incidents uh, that I'm I'm aware of in terms of physical threats, uh, physical threats of violence. Uh, or, or any violence that has been meted out to, to, to my colleagues here in Antigua. And I, I, I don't think that has been the case um, for much of the OECS. I, I can't speak for all the territories in the OECS, but uh, certainly uh, here in Antigua, probably it's, it's not been a significant challenge in terms of physical violence. Mm -hmm. there, there, there is, of course, uh, the, the, the verbal 
barbs which are you know directed at some media uh, media houses and or journalists in relation to people expressing their strong displeasure about how, for example, they've carried stories, especially in relation to political matters, which are uh, often very highly charged uh, in these parts, as they are right across the Caribbean. But I think apart from the, 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 the verbal, sometimes verbal, it, it borders on threats, uh, certainly displeasure that has been expressed verbally. Uh, certainly, thankfully, there has not been any sort of physical uh, violence or, or, or threat thereof. Yeah, that's that's definitely a positive there. Let's find out what has been the experience in Guyana. Have you had these instances? Have people in Guyana, media workers, had to confront this? Yes, uh, we have had instances uh, over the years of media workers um, having been attacked, especially during periods of political unrest and elections. Um, thankfully, there have not been many, but sufficient to raise eyebrows. I remember distinctly more than... Um, 20 years ago, there had been a political protest um, in the city, and one of the um, crews on the road that was working with the um, state-owned National Communications Network was attacked, and one of the protesters uh, grabbed the, the camera, took it away, and um, ran into the headquarters of the opposition People's National Congress Reform, um, and that, of course, uh, did certainly create um, concerns among media colleagues across the board. Um, I think eventually the camera was returned. Um, I don't think that the police uh, was engaged in the matter, but um, it certainly became um, it certainly became a, a, another aspect of the political mm -hmm. environment. Um, in terms of the the posturing and so on, the fact that the media worker was attacked and the camera was taken away, and more so, uh, it was a state media worker who, uh, who was the victim. Um, of course, this goes back to what I was saying earlier, that it, much of this depends not only on the commercial side, but of course uh, in the operational side, where you're working and what is happening when. Um, the fact of the matter is that uh, the state media in Guyana uh, are always beholden to the government of the day. They are seen as the propaganda tools of the of the party in power, and therefore uh, the the opposition at any given point in time will say and perhaps do all sorts of things against uh, the, the state-owned media, and therefore the workers become vulnerable when they go out in the road, and not because they are not good people in the in their own right but because of where they work. Mm. And that in itself is a major challenge. People are not looking to see whether you're a good guy personally or you're a bad guy, or you're just uh, out there um, trying to do your best to earn a living, therefore you ended up in the state media. What they're looking at is that you're a symbol of the state media, or perhaps you're a symbol of a media entity that is opposed to the... Um, or in favor of the political status quo. And therein lies a challenge for media workers when they go out into the fields, mm -hmm. especially in political uh, periods of political unrest in elections and so on. I, we, we all know that with the last election in Guyana, tensions were very, very, very high, uh, for the obvious reason. Um, all that transpired and how the, the results are dragged out and, and all that took place then, that must have been a really challenging time for media as well, given how polarized and how high tensions were. Um, there, there were no instances back then, were they? 
No, there were no instances, thankfully. Um, I think uh, everyone was practically focused on what was going on at the returning office for Region 4. And um, I think, broadly speaking, everyone saw what was happening. Mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> so we did not have that situation uh, where people were were, were attacked, uh, media workers were attacked. Uh, but given what was being said, around the, the in, in terms of the commentary around certain issues people obviously had heightened perceptions of where some of your houses were leaning uh, but that as i said did not take away from the fact of what was happening at the returning office in region four and i think uh the court rulings themselves helped to steer the process in a particular direction uh whether one saw it as being favorable or unfavorable so yeah. I think uh, we, we, we really um, escaped the worst. Yeah, Let's uh, bring Jade Brown into our conversation as well. When it comes to actual violence, um, is that something that you all have uh, ever experienced? Thankfully, here we, we have not really experienced that. Um, no physical violence against any media house, not that I am aware of. Um, I know that in terms of threats, Yes, the media workers, they get that when they go out into the field. What we've been grappling with in St. Lucia is an, a surge in crime, particularly, particularly in the east and south of the island. Um, and when the media workers do venture out into these crime hotspots, as the, the Royal St. Lucia Police Force has labeled it, um, they would come across some threats. I do recall one instance where um, one staff of mine had gone down into this particular area where there were six murders in two days. And for St. Lucia, that is a lot. Um, and one of the individuals whom she asked directions was trying to lure her um, into a very, very dangerous area. And she was unfamiliar with the, with the area. And it took a good Samaritan to to steer her, um, you know, to stay to safety. Um, that happened. So since then, what my media house did is we we decided that no journalist would venture would cover stories in the hotspots. Um, so that is what has happened. So if there is an if there is a murder or anything like that, we would go to the area, but we would not go to the actual. Um, to the actual area of the crime. We will try to stay in the vicinity along the periphery, but I would not send them into um, said areas. No. And that's basically what we've experienced here. Um, of course, like my colleague from Guyana indicated, during, during um, the election season, we have to be extremely vigilant, extremely vigilant. Um, you have so many people who are so incensed and, of course, very passionate about their political parties. And, you know, they call in and they sometimes um, what they say is a borderline threat. Um, so we, we are extra vigilant during those times. We try to finish the news earlier um, because of the location of some of the media houses. Um, due to the fact that the news is being recorded, we, we have the luxury of finishing mm. the news, recording the news earlier so that media workers can then venture home, especially those who have to take public bus, public transportation. Um, so we try to put the safety measures in place. Mm. So 
so that we keep our colleagues safe. Yes, uh, prevention better than cure, definitely in this instance. Uh, we need to take a couple messages to take us up to the news, but when we get back on the other side of it, um, you'll be joined by my colleague Tuska. She'll be taking over because I have to head across to location for a live broadcast. But our conversation continues. The best insight, instant feedback, accountability. The all-new Talk Radio Freedom 106.5. This is the Morning Rumble with Satish Mahabir. Good morning to you, Trinidad and Tobago. This is Freedom 106.5 FM. And as Satish said, a little switcheroo early o'clock, uh, before 9 o'clock. Uh, my name is Tosca Martinez. Welcome, welcome to the Morning Rumble, if you're just joining us. And we were taking part in a conversation about the state of media in the Caribbean. And we have a guest, Mr. Garfield Burford, Director of News and Sports and Current Affairs at ABS-TV Radio in Antigua. And Mr. Dennis Chabul, Veteran Journalist, Demerara Waves, New Guyana. And uh, we just touched briefly on a couple of issues that the media practitioners have faced. And I wanted to continue the conversation moving into the aspect of social media and how it has changed and affected the job of uh, media practitioners in the Caribbean. Uh, any comments on that aspect? Mr. Buford, we could start with you. Sure, certainly. Uh, and uh, welcome to the microphone to yourself. And, thank you. Uh, we, thank, we thank you so much uh, to, uh, you know, your listeners for staying with us. Uh, yes, social media new media generally is uh, a bit of a threat it's a it's a it's a, it's a twin sword it's mm -hmm. a threat and also an opportunity and so we'd have to look at a sort analysis of it uh one of the threats from it is that uh, look it's a space that me that traditional media and, and i hate to use the term traditional media but in this context uh traditional meaning legacy media would mm -hmm. have to uh, not cede any space to. in other words we cannot as conventional traditional media see social media as, you know, an opportunity to just, you know, be, be all on, on its own. We have to use that space. We have to uh, also own that space because we, we can't, you know, cede it to individuals who would just want to spread unverified information. Uh, that, that is how a lot of people are consuming content. That's how a lot of members of our audience are con consuming content. And so we have to ensure that we provide factual, fast information, but never sacrifice uh, accuracy for speed uh, mm -hmm. and get only verified information out because there are all the people who are just interested in getting uh, very quick headlines and very quick videos 
uh, without any context, without information. The news is nothing without context. Context is nothing without the news. And so that, that's not the, the particular that's not the particular principle that people many people are vloggers and bloggers on social media will adhere to. We who are vanguards of the profession have to ensure that we provide factual information on social media and to provide that information in a way that is bite-sized, that is easily consumable uh, by, by our audiences. Uh, but at the same time, we have to contend with the, the, the fake news, the misinformation, the disinformation, the bots that are being used on social media to spread, especially during times of election. Uh, we, we all remember what happened with Cambridge Analytica and so on. Yes. So th there's, a, there's a very malign aspect of the use of social media. As you know, any tool uh, is, which, which has very good utilitarian purposes uh, can also be misused, and social media is no different. Uh, and, and so we're, we're going to see more of the weaponization of social media for various purposes, including for, for, for politics and for other areas as well by, by malign actors, especially in times, uh, for example, we're covering conflict. Um, the, the, both sides, and sometimes more than both, I mean, more than two sides, several sides, are going to have their different agendas and so on. We, and they will continue to try to weaponize social media. Misinformation, the propaganda war, was, for example, mem mentioned by Reporters Without Borders in its most recent uh, press, World Press Freedom Day uh, Index, uh, talking about the fact that fake content as, is almost an industry of fake content that we have to grapple with. How do we deal with that? How do we uh, respond to that? We respond to that with facts. Fact is always a, dis a great disinfectant. Uh, it, we're going to have to, we can't respond to everything because if we spend time responding to everything uh, and, and uh, you know, expose the, the, the propaganda and the misinformation, we, we, we almost have a, a completely designated, a, a complete designated section of our newsrooms which are going to be just responding to fake news and, and misinformation. Uh, which in, in the Caribbean, we don't always have the luxury of having those resources to be able to do that. What I much prefer uh, media houses like ourselves do is to have dedicated units which are focusing on investigative work and to go in depth, something that uh, many people, on bloggers and bloggers and social media will not be interested in doing. Mm -hmm. So we have to uh, op operate on, on parallel tracks. We have to continue to provide factual content and information on social media. That, that is, in other words, the go-to source for people who are interested in facts and logic and, and credibility. Uh, while at the same time, we have to debunk some of the uh, propaganda and, uh, and, and how social media is being weaponized. We can't spend all our time doing that, but we have to, for the public interest, debunk some of that information. And at the same time, we have to continue to keep our eyes open to see how best we can use artificial intelligence, uh, social media, and the, all the other digital technologies to continue to be as effective as we possibly can. We have to adapt, otherwise we're going to fall by the wayside. We're going to become obsolete. Uh, so we have to keep in step with those technologies, but at the same time, we have to understand the risks and the uh, inherent threats that they, face, that, that they pose, especially among people who have malign intentions. Thank you so much. I'd like to welcome back Ms. Jade Brown, who is the senior reporter and communication specialist to the air as well. Uh, we just talked about social media. The, uh, the quest for the elusive scoop in media, how do we uh, attain that scoop with also remembering that there are a lot of, uh, as you said, fake news on the outside? How do we uh, bring the news to the people and make sure that we are correct.
Hello? Miss Brown? That's for Dennis or that's for, oh, that's for Jade. Okay. Yes. There you go. For Miss Brown. For you, Jade. It seems we have a little uh, con connection problem there, but can you take it on, Mr. Wilford? How do we, because uh, you know that media, we part of it is getting the information to our listeners, readers, etc. The elusive scoop. How do we continue to bring the news to our uh, people and still have the integrity attached to the story? Uh, I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna uh, cede very quickly to uh, to to Dennis. I'm pretty sure he uh, he he has a view on this as well. Mm -hmm. um, but but I think just very quickly before I go over to Dennis, I think what is important is facts matter. Facts are or the capital of journalism is 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 accuracy. We must never sacrifice accuracy for anything, for speed, for convenience, for anything. I think that 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 is the 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 sine qua non of what we do. That we must always be factual we must always be fair we must always be credible and those time-honored tenets of the of the field of, of journalism are going to are, is what, are what is going to keep us really going forward in terms of in this age of social media so yes um while at the same time we want to be getting that information out quickly we must make sure that we fact check we double check we triple check and we must ensure that anything that we pro uh, that we provide in terms of content uh, is, is something that can stand up to any sort of scrutiny. And of course, we have to protect ourselves as well in an age of defamation where it's a very, you know, we're in, increasingly in litigious societies. Uh, so people are going to want to be able to, to sue. So we have mm -hmm. to make sure that we get our, our information correct. Uh, I'm pretty sure Dennis has a, has a point to make on this as well. Mr. Chabro? Yeah. Yes, Garfield, I pretty much would want to echo what you just said there. Nothing uh, should be uh, taken for chance when one uses material or sees material in social media. I mean, I mean only <laughs> two days ago, uh, we had an image circulating here in Guyana of uh, one of our secondary bridges having been allegedly cracked uh, at the bottom under pressure from big trucks and so on. It's called the Kanji Bridge for the Guyanese who are listening. And um, I did not take that as face value. I immediately contacted the Minister of Public Works, and he uh, said that he pa he passed it on to his engineers. The engineers went and inspected, and there was no such thing as a crack. So if one were to just take that uh, image and say, well, the Kanji Bridge uh, has a major crack, I mean, what will you be doing? Just uh, propagating fake news, mm -hmm. and therefore your credibility goes down the line. So I think uh, we really have um, a twin objective, one, to ensure we deliver the facts um, by fact-checking and also to preserve our own credibility. The purveyors of fake news, at the end of the day, come back to standard journalism, to journalism on radio and television and newspapers to see what is going on. Whenever all is said in London, they make their mischief to go back to, to established media to see what is really happening. So they themselves see a value in us as journalists. And I think we should uh, really uh, be very careful uh, when it comes to uh, the younger personnel coming into the newsrooms. They need to be oriented, reoriented. They needed to, you know, they need to follow the rules. But I Mr. Mean, Chabra, not everything you see, sorry, not that... everything you see on social media is, is factual. 
And I was about to interject uh, the question of training for future media practitioners. What are some of the subjects or directions that the younger ones should take to fit into the legacy media that Mr. Buford talked about, be it print and radio, and also to bridge the gap because we, we can't get away from social media. It is part of the current state. Uh, what do you suggest in terms of training? I think there should be in-house uh, training, workshops, uh, seminars, and also um, the major training institutions at the universities should perhaps uh, include a specific course that deals with social media and news gathering. Um, and that will itself help to inculcate uh, some of the, the basic principles on what to do. And I think that course can also form part of of one that can focus on fact-checking. Because if we, are, if we do not do these things on a regular basis and institutionalize them in our major trading institutions like Carrimac and at the University of, the, uh, of Guyana and Antum de Cobbins, Suriname and elsewhere, then we will not be equipping our younger folk with the tools. And also, those people who are engaged in public relations and crisis communication, they too will stand to benefit from having such uh, training courses um, in, at those tertiary institutions. So it is a win-win for everyone, regardless of whether you're a journalist or a public relations practitioner or a crisis communications practitioner. All of us need to recognize at the end of the day that this is an important subject that affects the integrity of journalism and communication in the broader sphere. Uh as we are speaking about that, how does artificial intelligence play into that training? I had a discussion with a, a lecturer from the Uni University of the West Indies where the discussion led to understanding that AI, just like social media, is uh, the current trend and stating that in some cases, uh, from the perspective of the lecturer, the artificial intelligence has a way of creating uh, the curriculum, the format, and also classes. How do we adapt to that? I would say uh, artificial intelligence is, is a good thing, like social media, and it is also a bad thing. Um, if we are not careful, then we can end up with, um, with plagiarism, for one, being, being a, a, a major sin when it comes to the use of artificial intelligence. Mm -hmm. It may also create content that we ourselves, if we were to use them um, just uh, as they have been produced, may not necessarily be factual. Uh, because at the end of the day, artificial intelligence is basically scraping data that is um, available online and, and, and presenting it to us. Mm -hmm. Also, importantly, artificial intelligence has the, uh, the potential to degrade our ability to write on our own, develop our own writing skills. You, will, you may find yourself having uh, difficulty analyzing mm -hmm. uh, whether someone is proficient or not in the business of news gathering because he or she may basically take a news release and copy it into an artificial intelligence system and, and expects artificial intelligence to, re to rewrite that press release. 
and bring it back out as, as so-called new copy. But you have not activated your own mental capacity. Your critical thinking. Content, mm -hmm. Your critical thinking. And therein lies a big challenge for us as far as artificial intelligence is concerned. I'm not throwing, out, throwing it out of the window, but I'm saying we need to flag it because it has it has important considerations for plagiarism and the integrity of journalism. Mr. Burford. May, 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 yes. May I just jump in just very quickly, just, mm -hmm. just to uh, underline what uh, Dennis was mentioning. I'll quote just very briefly for you. Uh, from the World Press Freedom Index, the last one, 2023. And this is what it uh, talks about. Uh, the unprecedented ability to tamper with content is being used to undermine those who embody quality journalism and weaken journalism itself. Here's what it says about artificial intelligence. Uh, AI is digesting content and regurgitating it in the form of synthesis that flout the principles of rigor and reliability. And, and, that, and therein lies the challenge. Uh, the, the, the lines are being blurred between what is real and what is false what is conjured up content uh, what is concocted content and what is real content and i think the journalist has to be so um uh, focused on ensuring facts and double checking and triple checking that takes on added meaning right now let me give you an example with artificial intelligence you can uh, somebody can, you, your voice can be synthesized so this program uh, uh, all an artist ai system would have to do is to ingest this program and to put it in another language, put it in another voice, and all of a sudden, uh, nobody can, hardly anybody can sometimes know the difference between which, which was the real program. Mm -hmm. uh, and that is the challenge that we have. You can hear somebody's voice, on a voice clip going around, and it sounds very much like the person, Dr. Rowley in Trinidad, uh, Gaston Brown here in Antigua, uh, Dr. Mohamed Erfanali in, in, in Guyana. Uh, they they um, did it with Barack Philip Obama. Here. They've well, done there you it, go. yeah. Jim Yes, indeed, Philip J. Peer in St. Lucia, where Jade is. Uh, so, uh, and unless a journalist is checking to see, what, well, hold on, let's see what's the provenance of that, mm -hmm. then they might get caught in that web because, as I said, there are malign actors who are focused on, uh, there's an industry, there's a fake content industry. It's being weaponized, AI, artificial intelligence, and social media are being weaponized for, to, to meet particular ends. To meet, uh, as I said, malign uh, purposes, mm -hmm. and so we have to be far more focused on making sure that what we actually say, what we actually reporting, is actually based on facts. Especially images. A lot of images are being doctored uh, these days. Again, I quote for you the report: the fifth, the fifth version of Mid Journey, an AI program that generates very high definition images in response to natural language requests, has been feeding social media with increasingly plausible and undetectable fake photos including quite realistic looking ones of Donald Trump being stopped by police officers and uh, a picture and, and, and a comatose Julian Assange in a straight jacket which went viral. Again, this is what, uh, th it's a new age. We mm -hmm. have to be alert to the danger. Uh, and as, as uh, Dennis, I agree with Dennis wholeheartedly, especially journalists just coming into the field, very eager to get content out because they are eager to get content quickly without necessarily focusing on trying to make is factual, uh, they might be caught in that net uh, unwittingly uh, because they're, they're not focusing on it. We have to be far, I mean, far so, 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 so careful uh, these days in terms of ensuring that we're not being caught in that web. Well, let me, let me put a, sorry, I just wanted to put a, 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 a different perspective in it as well. Some people would state that you're trying to curtail creativity within the um, practice of media. Uh, how how do we branch the the two 
in, in that people can express themselves because the part of media is freedom of speech and, you know, um, bringing out their message. How do we branch the two? Freedom of speech in its own right has limits. If you were to just uh, take freedom of speech as a, as a blanket, then we run the risk of doing exactly what we do not want to do mm -hmm. um, because then it's carte blanche. You just do what you have to do. You use AI, you use social media, and you say that is it. There, Every game has rules, and journalism is a game that has rules. And if you do not abide by the rules, if you do not have that referee to ensure that the rules are being followed, then you will just be propagating what we are saying is bad here today. Mm -hmm. And therein lies the challenge. We have got to have newsrooms. We have got to have journalists who are experienced enough to filter, not to filter uh, facts by way of censorship, but to ensure that what we produce out there can stand the test of time, can stand the rigors of all of the rules of the game, or else journalism will be basically a, a, a dead... A dying you know, a, a, practitioner. A dead, a dead practice. Mm -hmm. All right, gentlemen, let's take a short break. And when we come back, we will follow through with other comments on the topic of AI, social media, and uh, defining the two. We'll be right back. You're tuned into the all-new Freedom 106.5. 106.5. Welcome back, Trinidad and Tobago. This is the Morning Rumble. And yes, you're hearing a strange voice, but uh, that's okay. I'm holding on for Satish as he is going over to the Hyatt Regency for our outside broadcast after nine. And with me is Mr. Garfield Burford, Director of News and Sports and Current Affairs at ABS TV Radio Antigua. And Mr. Dennis Charbrol, Veteran Journalist at Demarama Waves, New Guyana. Thank you so much, gentlemen, for joining me. And we were speaking about social media and the effect that it has had on media in the Caribbean and also we touched on artificial intelligence and how we are how we need to be more vigilant uh, in terms of fake news and the rush to bring news to the region let's go a little further on the stories that are, are done by our journalists let's say we've done fact checking we've adhered to the uh, rules of journalism and we've put out a story that may not uh, how to put it be pleasing to some of the members of the public and we're talking about safety for the practitioners what can we do or what needs to be done to ensure the safety of media uh, practitioners throughout the Caribbean once we start to bring factual and informative pieces to our readers and listeners. Uh, could, could, could I just say uh, very quickly, uh, and then I'm pretty sure Dennis has a point to make on it as well. Uh, before I go on to that, though, let me just make a very quick point in relation to the matter of artificial intelligence uh, and the fake news or the fake content industry. Sure. Uh, you'd be very happy to note. Uh, you'd be very happy to know that uh, the. Uh, earlier when we were talking to Satish, mm -hmm. uh, that um, we're also, the Caribbean Broadcasting Union is also doing some work uh, with the News Committee. I'm, I'm pleased to be uh, a member of the News Committee of the World Broadcasting Unions, representing the Caribbean Broadcasting Unions. This is the uh, umbrella organization uh, uh, globally 
for all the broadcasting unions. So the CBU is just one of the member uh, unions on it. And one of the projects that we've discussed on the news committee is uh, what is called Project Origin and the Coalition for Content, Providence and Authenticity. It's something that uh, news organizations around the world are looking to ensure that they can buy into. Because what this does, especially because artificial intelligence is providing an avenue and a platform for fake photos essentially to be used and real realistic looking one and ones are very difficult to, to detect uh, the the fact that they're not real uh, then this what this allows us to be able to do is to verify content to authenticate uh, footage and video and pictures to make sure that uh, this one so we can say to our audiences respective audiences this content these pictures are actually legitimate and we can use uh, various other ways of uh, making sure that we can check uh, the authenticity of information, not just as I said with project, uh, project origin and the coalition for content provenance and authenticity, but we can use uh, various means. Uh, the BBC, for example, has been doing something uh, called, uh, you know, using uh, satellite imageries and so on, uh, geostational information to, to as as another layer of checking to make sure that what it is what it is providing, what it's providing to the audience is 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 not fake. So so we have to look at. Uh, initiatives such as this, we have to get very granular to make sure that in a world where there's a very thin line and there's a very blurred line between real and fake, we have to get it right because we can't afford not to get it right for our audiences. That's a very quick uh, point on what you mentioned what the, to, to your question uh, about how do we protect the journalists at a time when we are doing investigative uh, work. I, I, I take it you're, you're talking about investigative journalism? Yes. Investigative right, journalism and when you express an opinion that may or may not be the opinion of the day. Uh, as with right. social media, there's an influx of, you know, people, as they call them, keyboard warriors, you know, who yes, would indeed. have their own opinions and then tell you, you know, where to step off, basically. How do we protect our workers once those stories go out? Right. And I think it's, the, it's, it's one of the significant challenges, the perennial challenges uh, of media. Thankfully, uh, the Caribbean, except for uh, some of the hotspots where there are threats of physical violence, and in some cases, physical violence, which we abhor, uh, which we condemn, and which we continue to condemn uh, in, in, in the various platforms and the various fora. Uh, we must continue to advocate for the safety of all journalists anywhere they are in the world. Uh, thankfully, the Caribbean has not seen very many of those incidents, but one incident is one too many. Of course, uh, as I said, we have to we have to condemn that. Uh, but apart from that, uh, look, I think that there, there has to be a recognition among the media practitioners, and I mentioned this earlier about sometimes the lack of passion, commitment, drive, motivation among, especially journalists who are just coming into the field. They have to understand. But this is something, this is a vocation, this is a calling. It's not something that you essentially do for a nine-to-five job. You, you essentially do for a paycheck and then you go home and you, you, you're no, no longer a journalist. Being a, you, you're a journalist essentially 24-7 because the news doesn't wait until, you know, you're, you're, you have a, an eight-hour shift. It happens, mm -hmm. happens any time. So you have to be uh, far more, you have to be absolutely committed to the field and to getting the story, getting to the heart of the story, to be able to, inform your audiences because essentially we are the eyes and ears of the people we are flipped the competent and we comfort the afflicted i think once our practitioners understand that uh, they will have that passion that drive secondly uh, so, so that's one that's one layer the the commitment of the media workers themselves the journalists themselves media owners and managers have to take a response to take a greater responsibility to ensure that they uh, 
not only protect their journalists as much as possible, but are seen to be protecting them. They must be advocates for the safety of journalists. And they must not only be, you know, be reactive when something happens and they run and issue a statement, uh, they must continually do risk assessment uh, to make sure that they are able to provide the safest environment possible. It's not going to be foolproof, but the safest environment possible uh, for journalists. And secondly, and thirdly, there has to be between, the, for example, in Jamaica, I'm a native of Jamaica, there is the Press Association of Jamaica for Media Workers, there's Media Association of, of Jamaica for, uh, for, for Media Managers and Owners. Uh, there has to be that coalition between the workers and the managers, uh, whatever the organizations, whatever the constructs that they, that they, are, they fall into, uh, for, for there to be a greater focus on investigative work. And sometimes that investigative work can take the form of coalitions, uh, collaborations among media houses. So sometimes we are so focused on being uh, rivals and you know to, to try to chase on the same advertising dollar, yes. we don't realize that there are certain things that transcend uh, the, just this narrow uh, focus on the commercial interests. That we sometimes have to collaborate, especially on investigative journalism. So, for example, there is a consortium of investigative uh, journalists uh, that does fantastic work. Uh, there, there are collaborations, for example, between uh, the the, the World Press Freedom, uh, the Reporters Without Borders, which produces the World Press Freedom Index, and 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 other entities, which, which for example, do work on social media. Uh, so, so in other words, collaborations are important, and sometimes to tackle certain big stories, I'd want to see all media in the region mature to the point where we can come together. So in, in Trinidad and Tobago, you can have the, the big players, the top four or three players, coming together to work on a story. And that, that brings more heft to it to say, look, uh, this is a collaboration, this project, this investigative piece was a collaboration between two or three media houses. Mm -hmm. That brings uh, a, a different dimension, a different construct to it. All the media uh, in other parts of the world do it. I think that we, we have to look at ensuring that we can also do it because what that does is to take away the burden of almost threats and the, the burden of, of, of focus from one or two media workers and one media house mm -hmm. to say, look, this is journalists coming together for the greater good of the society. We put aside our, our, our you know, narrow commercial considerations and rivalries, and we've taken on an issue that is uh, bigger than uh, we ourselves because this is about uh, protecting the public interest. All right, Mr. Charbroil, any comments in this direction? I would think for the most part that we are here to um, to work in the public's interest. I think uh, where we may uh, have um, a continuous challenge, as I have seen over the years um, happening here in Guyana, is even though we may have uh, cross-border collaboration for the production of a particular new story or feature, if it does not sit well with the sponsors or with the government of the day, then what you may find is that that production will never be aired or it will be butchered. That is to say, huge chunks that the government uh, considers to be inimical to its interests will be taken out and then the edited version will be broadcast. So it comes down now to the need for some sort of um, guideposts or guideline or charter that will govern how we perform our duties, that will insulate the newsroom editorially from any sort of interference, whether commercial or political. If we do not do that, then we'll always find ourselves being victims of censorship and shortchanging the public, which 
at the end if not what the public good is all right which leads me to the next question what are the tools that are necessary for the longevity of legacy news and the uh, practitioners of media I'll yield to right. Garfield. Okay, all right. I, I, was, I was almost saying I was, was going to yield to you, Dennis. Uh, but, but yeah, let me, let me take a first bite of it. I, I think that uh, what is important uh, in terms of tools, and, and by tools you're talking about uh, the, I mean both. I mean what 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 are going to be required uh, institutionally to ensure that media houses can continue to perform their duties well, essentially. Yes. Uh, well, let's talk about physical and um, the. When I say tools, well, obviously, we need the resources to get out to the different locations to report the news. But the tools in terms of, we spoke briefly about training, etc. Can we pinpoint some of the tools that are needed now so that the future generations of uh, media practitioners would be better equipped to continue the legacy of bringing factual news? Mr. Bruford, you can go ahead. Right. Thanks, thanks so much. Uh, I think... Uh there's this particular thing which I which I've liked tremendously. We're in pretty much in the fourth industrial revolution, and we're going on to the fifth. We're on the cusp of the fifth. And uh, somebody said, to use a term, uh, you know, that the, the the learner or the person who is going to get ahead in the 21st century is a person who can learn, unlearn, and relearn. And I think that is ultimately, I think that encapsulates what is needed uh, for, for for the future of journalism. Most of our media, for example, uh, my, my good friends and colleagues at the RGR Communications Group in Jamaica, Lena RGR Communications Group, they're going through some leadership changes. And a, a big part, for example, of the, the CEO of the RGR Gleena Communications Group uh, is going to now be the person who is uh, focusing on print and digital services. And that essentially telegraphs the, the focus for the RGR Gleena Communications Group, which is the biggest uh, media organization in Jamaica, possibly uh, in the Caribbean as well. I think what the, the focus is on is how do we adapt to the changing environment? How do we adapt to the age of social media, not even social media, but artificial intelligence and I mean, in generative artificial intelligence, not just artificial intelligence, but generative art artificial intelligence. How do we uh, keep in step with those changes? How do we adapt? How do we, as I said, as that thing goes, learn, unlearn, and relearn? I think ultimately that is the tool which is going to take us uh, into whatever age we're going to go in, in terms of technological and dig digital age. It is about keeping step, it is about not being left behind, otherwise we become the Kodaks of the world. Kodak didn't, didn't uh, wasn't alert to the fact that everybody was having, phones are coming out with, with, with cameras on them. Mm -hmm. If you look at the back of your phone, you sometimes two and three and four cameras. I'm wondering why so many cameras on the phones. But anyway, uh, Kodak <laughs> wasn't focusing on the fact that it had to adapt to those changing environments. It, it, it waited too long and then Where's Kodak now? Kodak is gone. Yes. Uh, so, so in precisely, precisely. So unless we're able to learn, unlearn, relearn, in other words, keep in step, while at the same time, this is crucial, while at the same time never ditching the uh, time-honored tenets of the field, checking, fact-checking, double-checking, multi-sourcing, um, um, multi uh, uh, factual, fear, credible, fearless, investigative work, in other words, no matter how advanced generative artificial intelligence gets, uh, 
it is unlikely to be in a position to go and investigate a story talk to the people mm -hmm. get the people's story out there telling stories telling telling stories about people and for people that is essentially what we do we have to keep in step in other words we can't lose sight of the fundamental tenets of our field telling stories for people and about people investigate i mean they're comforting the afflicted and afflicting the comfortable those are going to not be uh changed no matter how how many changes are taking place that is those are going to be constant uh, it is said that the only constant is change. Mm -hmm. While change is happening, those things will remain constant and perennial. We have to keep um, keep those sacrosanct, while at the same time understanding that we have to be nimble enough, agile enough to respond to the technological changes to keep relevant, while at the same time, as I said, sticking to the core principles of the field. Mr. Chabra? Yes, uh, hammering home the core principles of the field will require um, constant training and retraining, as I've said earlier. I endorse all that Garfield has said there, um, and I think the bottom line, really, um, as he put it uh, succinctly, is uh, artificial intelligence will never be able to go and investigate a story. That really leaves it to us, the humans, to go out there and, and meet the people, meet the decision makers, check on what is going on, and produce our content. And when our content is out there, then artificial intelligence will scrape that content and reproduce it to people who are looking to do research. So for us, humans will always uh, remain pivotal in the in the whole process of news gathering and dissemination. And it is uh, for that very reason that we ought to ensure that our newsrooms are filled with people who are of integrity and who are willing and eager to continue uh, to learn and also to train others as they come in. All right. Uh, I was just reading through some of the messages coming to our WhatsApp board. And one person is saying, it is all well and good to say, bring true facts and fact check your stories. But um, I believe it was Mr. Chabral who mentioned, if it is the advertisers are not um, satisfied with the story, then it, it doesn't run. Uh, how true, well, we, we briefly touched on it, but how true is it that we tend to look at that aspect in bringing the news that we tend to stay away or shy away from the really important stories that need to be told? Um, in, in a couple of instances here in Guyana, I will not name the companies, but mm -hmm. uh, after certain stories were broadcast on a particular cha channel uh, several years ago, the advertiser decided to pull the plug on his advertising. And um, I don't think that the journalist should be blamed for that. Um, it should be the manager um, or the owner who should be blamed. Uh, he or she should, be, should have the testicular fortitude to stand up to the advertiser and say, no, uh, this is what obtains and this is, this is where our journalism stands. And if all or most of the owners and the managers uh, take that stance, the advertisers uh, may most likely back off from withdrawing their ads. I mean, it is very distasteful and ought to be condemned when advertisers do such things. Then they're only interested in having those uh, media outlets being their public relations tools rather than contributing to the survival, the sustenance of, uh, of investigative journalism and true journalism. Mr. Burford, any comments in this direction? 
Yes, uh, uh, it is. It is a real. It is a real threat uh, to the field. Uh, in about 2006, thereabouts, uh, my colleague at uh, at the time when we we're just actually in Jamaica, at the time when we we're just actually gotten in the CVM uh, group, uh, a radio station, Hot 102, uh, and my colleague. So we were now making an integrated newsroom. My colleague did a story about a particular company that was advertised. We were on about the Christmas time, and uh, the company had advertised that it was making. Uh, um, sorrel juice, you know, sorrel is a big, in the Caribbean, mm -hmm. sorrel is a big part of Christmas. And uh, the, the company was advertising that it was making uh, juice, sorrel juice from from real sorrel, not from concentrate. And the, the journalists went and did some investigative work and realized that that claim was untrue and that it was actually from concentrate. Now, mm -hmm. people might argue what turns on that, but it, it is the, the facts are the facts. Now, are you going to make it from real sorrow from concentrate. And uh, uh, so, you know, there's a journalist who's making it clear that that was an untrue claim. And of course, uh, the, the, the um, company got wind of it, called our commercial division, and threatened to pull uh, all their ads, which was a substantial, they were a substantial sponsor and advertiser uh, mm -hmm. with the station. It turned out that my colleague was absolutely miffed because his story was not carried, uh, because, of, because the commercial consideration uh, superseded and usurped the editorial consideration. And that happens in a lot of media houses uh, in various forms and various ways in the Caribbean because uh, many are small markets. Uh, big advertisers get big a big say, uh, unfortunately, in, in the editorial. And there's sometimes a very blurred line between the commercial and the editorial. And I think that that has to be addressed. Uh, recently, uh, well, actually, around about last year this time, I was in the U.S. Um, uh, on the invitation of the State Department as an international visitor, visitor leader, uh, the IVLP, the International Visitor Leadership Program. My colleagues from several countries around the world, uh, you know, were taking around a few states to look at some of the challenges facing journalism, and that was one of them. We looked at some states in which they were looking at models of funding mm -hmm. that would take them out away from the regular commercial business sponsorship and advertising, because uh, sometimes he who pays the piper calls the tune. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, the bigger advertisers are sometimes calling the shots. So sometimes what these uh, entities in the States have done is to look at a model um, uh, where they are either funded by foundations or some other means of funding that is, uh, that is outside of. Um, um, that is outside. In fact, some of them are non-profit. Uh, Salt, the Salt Lake Tribune has actually gone that route of being, being a, a non-profit uh, entity as well. And a few others are funded at the community level. A few others are funded by foundations. And so Patreons. Exactly. So it is something that we have to look seriously uh, at the Caribbean, uh, seriously on in the Caribbean, because, again, it rears its ugly head every now and again that uh, investigative work is shortchanged. Real good quality journalism is shortchanged because media owners are not going to be inclined to pass up on a major sponsor because that story is going to be. Uh, you know, deleterious to that person's brand. Look, the journalist is not going to be thinking about whether it's going to be favorable to your brand or not. The journalist is thinking what is in the public interest. Mm -hmm. uh, the media owner, media manager is often sometimes thinking, well, is often thinking about what is in their interest, bottom line. Uh, th so that is where the contract terms exist, and that is where uh, we, we have to have a serious discussion as a media in the region to look at do we collaborate on certain things and do we uh, uh, you know, spread the funding, spread the spread spread the expenses. For example, to tackle certain uh, so to tackle certain issues. That way, you know, we wouldn't have to have all of the financial exposure just on one media house. Mm -hmm. 
Thank you so much for your contribution. We're going to take a short break. And when we come back, any closing remarks, gentlemen, we'll be going into it. Also, your phone calls, you can call us at uh, 627-3223 and send, continue to send your messages to the WhatsApp number. And we will clarify some calls and answer some questions when we come back. The best insight, instant feedback, accountability, the all-new Talk Radio Freedom 106.5. Welcome back, Trinidad and Tobago, and welcome back to the discussion. We are discussing the state of media in the Caribbean, and we have Mr. Garfield Burford and Mr. Dennis Charbroil, who has joined us graciously to discuss the state of media. And so far, we've uh, touched on the different things that are affecting media in terms of social media, in terms of artificial intelligence, the uh, propagation of fake news. As uh, Mr. Buford said, there is a whole industry that is dedicated towards uh, producing fake news and clips and videos. And we did discuss about putting in place a system to verify those videos. Can you uh, just mention the name of the conglomerate that would be doing that, Mr. Buford? I believe your Mr. Burford, if you're hearing me, I believe your mic is so sorry. yes. So sorry. Yes. So sorry about that. Yes. So it is um it, it is called Project uh Project Origin. Mm -hmm. And it is uh, a, a part of the discussions that we're having at the World Broadcasting Unions. Uh, I'll just uh, tell you tell you that again in a very short while. Mm -hmm. uh, so so yes, it, it is in the initial stages of that discussion. So we're looking at um authentication uh, authentication and provenance of our video clips. So Project Origin is absolutely crucial uh, in terms of our discussions. It's, it's already something that is in train at uh, BBC, CBC um, are, are among the entities which are looking at it. I'm, I'm actually going to tell you a little bit more detail on it. There was a presentation made uh, earlier this year at the News Committee of the World Broadcasting Unions on this issue, but it is something that we will have to uh, pay closer attention to. I'm actually opening up the document as we speak. So again, it's called, uh, uh, you know, your, your listeners can, can look at it, Project mm -hmm. Origin and, and the Coalition for Content Provenance and Authenticity. And uh, let me just tell you in terms of which entities are going to, uh, are actually are looking at it uh, as we speak. I'm looking at trying to open this, uh, trying to open a document now on, on it. No but yeah, problem. But, but the BBC, the, the, BBC um, the, the New York Times uh, and CBC certainly are among the partners on, on, this, on, on this project. But yes. It is, it is very crucial, especially at a time uh, when uh, so much fake news is happening and, and there are so many malign actors who are weaponizing both social media and artificial intelligence for particular purposes, and especially for politics or, for, or to undermine or to demonize people. Mm -hmm. uh, it is important that uh, the, the media do not fall prey uh, to those malign motives. And, 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 I... and we must always be on the side of truth and facts. I think that will be very necessary coming around to election time uh, in the various Caribbean countries where we, you know, need to verify what is real and what is not real. Because at that point in time, the the societies are in a mode of changing or reinstating uh, our governing bodies. So we need to make some good decisions around that time. I've got a phone call coming Absolutely. in. At six two seven three two two three six two five two two five seven. Hello, good morning. Good morning, Tosca. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, good morning to your two esteemed guests. 
um, listening with great interest to the, the deliberations this morning. Um, um, it has been said that the truth has no friends. And if the media is um, related to the truth, then the media should have no friends neither. But reality is, 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 is a, a, a real thing. And um, economic concerns must be part of the considerations of a media house. At the end of the day, it, it is a business. And um, I've noticed that over the years, um, because of um, um, social media, uh, because of um, um, artificial intelligence, and a number of things, the income um, at some of these media houses has, has dwindled tremendously, and, and, and it is becoming almost unsustainable. Now, there is one moment in time that most media houses look to as a major source of income, and that is when elections come along. And a lot of, a lot of um, expenditure on advertising um, and covering various um, political meetings. And, you know, at, at that time, a lot, of, um, a lot of media houses stand to make a lot of money and probably to, to enough to sustain them um, in between the elections then. And I see that a lot of political, um, a lot of governments tend to posture themselves and position them, themselves um, strategically within that that um, construct and a lot of media houses in, in the process almost um, compromise themselves on the altar of um, political expediency. Um, gentlemen, I'd like you to speak about that for a moment uh, and, and like to hear your views on how you could combat that, that um, process of compromising um, in the, in the, you know, going forward in the future. I thank you. Thank you so much for your call and your question. Would you like to take this on, Mr. Charbroll? I must concede that um, I have not heard uh, anything that a gentleman said. Apparently, the phone system is not integrated into the Zoom. I don't know if Garfield managed to pick up anything. I think I was in the same boat as you, Dennis. So, uh, perhaps the, the whole, you could, could just repeat uh, quickly what he, what he asked? Basically, he wanted to understand the mechanism that media houses would in, employ election times. Because in his opinion, he believes that the income that comes in at that point in time in terms of broadcast, advertising, etc., tends to sway some media houses to one political party or another, in his opinion. So he wanted to find out from you all uh, what would be ways to curtail that uh, perceived um, situation and what can we implement so so that the process is a fair one. Well, I think, I think that uh, we, we had touched on it briefly in terms of the fact that there has to be, uh, there's sometimes a blurring of the line between the commercial and the editorial. Uh, the, 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 the revenue from ads, uh, that, you know, political advertising around about the time of campaigns uh, must be totally insulated from, in other words, those decisions are totally insulated from the editorial side of um, the media entity. Uh, and, and again, it comes down to the media owner to make sure that they have a strong uh, background in wanting to have the truth told, wanting to protect their journalists who are on the front lines of facts, the front lines of facts. Um, you know, I should, I should, Dennis, I should probably copyright that, front lines of facts. Uh, they, they should uh, ensure that they, they are insulating their editorial side from the commercial side. It should have nothing to do uh, look, 
I mean, th that, that's that's what should happen. Does does it always happen? No, and and that's and that's the sad thing that we have to work on. Uh, that there's sometimes a very bl a very blurred line between the editorial and the commercial. Uh, but that should have nothing to do with the slant with anything. Uh, the, uh, the, that the, the media house should not be slanting their coverage uh, to uh, what whatever political party pays them more uh, for for advertising. It should be a level playing field. Um, you know, those all parties should have an opportunity to advertise once they follow the basic strictures. That's on the commercial side. All of that has to be ironed out. But it has it should have nothing to do with the editorial work that that media um, media house does. Okay, thank you so much for your comments and your answer. So in conclusion today, because we have about two more minutes for closing remarks, um, can we conclude that the basic ideas uh, for maintaining Caribbean media would be, in your words, Mr. Bruford, to learn and relearn the uh, structures that are in place, um, instituting strong fact-checking mechanisms, and to looking into systems to verify videos, etc., and to let the new influx of media practitioners to continue to have passion and commitment. Any closing remarks on that? Mr. Chabro? Sorry, I did not get the question clearly. I don't know what happened. So in conclusion, we're, we're concluding uh, with comments now, and we've, we've stated that to be at the forefront in Caribbean media, we have to learn and relearn the systems that are existing and to institute strong fact-checking mechanisms and to look into systems to verify, you know, the, the pieces of media that are coming in and to make sure that the young practitioners that are coming into the profession remain committed and passionate about their work. Any other comments you'd like to add to that? It's perhaps one of the things that can be done um, as, as a first step is to have a fact-checking portal within um, given newsrooms. So whenever something pops up, um, the editors and perhaps the reporters with the consent of the editors can include that in that portal. So everyone knows uh, that he or she can go to that portal to, ch to check and double-check uh, if there is, in fact, something that uh, is questionable. And in terms of the overall scheme of things, uh, advertising versus journalism, perhaps advertising contracts should state clearly that the contents of the programs uh, will will not be affected by the um, by the advertising dollar. Thank you so much, Mr. Burford. Yes, absolutely uh, agreed, uh, Dennis. Certainly on that, and I think that should be made clear. And I think that's where the the strength of the media owners and managers are to say to stand up for their journalists, to stand up for the editorial team when they get this pushback, because the pushback is going to come. Uh, there are uh, spenders and advertisers who think that, look, because they're spending big money uh, with a media entity, that should determine uh, the, the, that, that the media house should slap their coverage to favor them. They, they should be told in no uncertain terms that that does not happen, will not happen in whatever world, and uh, they can take their money elsewhere. I think there has to be a strength uh, of the media owners and managers. That's a very quick point to say, look, uh, the, the, the training, it's an ongoing training, as, as you were mentioned earlier, that has to be learned about learning, unlearning, and relearning. We have to keep adapting, especially to the changes in technology in a digital age, and to keep in step with that. In other words, otherwise we're going to be left behind. However, we have to stay faithful and stay true to the absolutely fundamental time-honored principles of journalism about the facts being sacrosanct 
accuracy is sacrosanct and must never be sacrificed on any altar, especially speed or expediency. Those altars are not going to be, uh, in other words, fact, uh, accuracy is, is absolutely non-negotiable. And, and uh, as I said, fairness and credibility are absolutely crucial as, as a capital of journalism. I, I end by saying, just using very quickly, uh, something that was mentioned by the World Press Freedom Index for 2023. And this gives us a kind of broad global perspective on the situation. The situation, according to the index, is very serious in 31 countries, difficult in 42, problematic in 55, and good or satisfactory in only 55, 52 countries. So of 180 countries, uh, the environment for journalism is bad in 7 out of 10 and satisfactory in only 3 out of 10. That gives us some context that uh, we, we have a lot to be thankful for in the region, but we have a lot of work to do. It doesn't mean that we, we can't sit on our laurels. Fine, we might not have some of the challenges that exist in other parts of the world, but we have a lot of areas that we, can, we must improve on, we must grow on. Investigative work is one of them. Training is one of them. And as I said, agility and nimbleness in relation to adapting to technology and not ceding that social media, artificial intelligence space to only some actors who have malign objectives. Thank you so much, Mr. Burford and Mr. Chabral. Unfortunately, we have to close, conclude here. And also special thanks to Ms. Jade Brown, who joined us earlier from St. Lucia. Uh, thank you for taking the time to talk about the state of media in the Caribbean. You're welcome. Absolutely. Great, You're to, welcome. Great, to talk, great to talk with you and great to be on with Dennis. I'm immensely honored to be on with Dennis as well. <laughs> and, and earlier uh, to have been on with Jade as well. Thank Very you so much. All the best. Take care. The best insight, instant feedback, accountability. The all-new Talk Radio Freedom 106.5.